10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, happy Sunday morning to everybody, and welcome to the John DeVito Show. It is 7.50 a.m. on Sunday morning. I'm starting my show a little bit earlier than I expected. Uh, just woke up early today. That's me. You know, I'm one of those guys that doesn't sleep all that much, you know, probably six hours a night. And I uh, woke up at about six. I was going to do a show at 10 today and just decided I would get on a little bit early and do my show uh, now at uh, like eight o'clock. So anyway, it's another cold day in Massachusetts. I got up and looked at the temperature on our uh, temperature thing in the house and it's showing right now that it's seven degrees. So that's a little bit warmer than yesterday when it was one degree. So we've gained six degrees this morning, which I guess is a good thing. And uh, I'll tell you, over the last couple of weeks, I've really enjoyed doing these Sunday shows. You know, the Sunday shows weren't something that I've done you know, on a regular basis on my show. But I've kind of enjoyed having these chill, you know, just Sunday morning um, shows that uh, have just been a little bit more relaxed and I've been trying not to do as much politics on these shows, just getting on and just chilling out a little bit and just kind of relaxing, you know, with my cup of coffee and having some freestyle conversations and different things like that. So, you know, for me, you know, I'm here in Massachusetts. Uh, we're in the last day of January, you know, coming into February. And uh, for me, you know, for me up here in the cold, you know, it's like I said, it's seven degrees this morning. And for me, I'm happy that January is almost over. It is the longest, coldest, darkest month in New England and Massachusetts. And uh, it seems like the cold is really taken over a lot of the country right now. I mean, you've got cold in Florida. We have relatives that are in the Florida area that say that the temperatures have been, you know, in the 40s down there. And uh, just been a, it's been a very cold stretch of weather. So for me, you know, I'm looking forward to the spring. I'm looking forward to the summer. You know, we have a very active schedule in the summer where we go to, you know, we go to the beach a lot. We go to a lot of baseball games since my two youngest kids play baseball. And we keep really busy in the summer. So I'm kind of looking forward to getting to that warmer weather. Hey, thanks for the share. I appreciate that. So we're looking forward, you know, to warmer weather, summertime. And, you know, for me, I'm kind of optimistic that maybe, maybe this summer we will be able to go out and hopefully enjoy life without masks. Maybe we'll finally be past this pandemic. I mean, I've lost now almost a you know a year of my life, like all of us. 
uh, being stuck at home, not being able to, you know, to do the things that we like to do, just simple little things like going to restaurants, you know, going to concerts, going to, you know, the baseball games, football games, and I miss it. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this summer will be the big turnaround, the time in which we're able to get back to life a little bit and start enjoying those little small things that we've all missed. You know, a couple things that I'm really looking forward to is this summer, you know, we've got tickets for a few concerts. Um, I'm going to be seeing Guns N' Roses with my two youngest boys uh, at Fenway Park in Boston. So that should be kind of a cool show. And I know my daughter is going to the uh, Green Day Fallout Boy concert also at Fenway Park with my wife. That's going to be a birthday present for her coming up uh, for her 16th birthday. So, you know, I started thinking a lot about my life with my children and, you know, where we're at now and my family on a whole. And as all of you know, that come into my show on a regular basis, you know, over the years, I've talked a lot about my family, about my children, you know, about my wife. And I'm definitely a guy that's very, very thankful for having, you know, the family that I do. I mean, I'm very proud of being a family man. I'm very proud of being a father, very proud of, you know, my four children. I mean, they're all so different, but, um, you know, I'm just very proud of the, the life that I've been able to, I guess, have with my family. And I, I guess I would say that I'm very blessed and I feel very fortunate that I've, uh, you know, had this life that I've had. But, you know, one of the things that's kind of getting me right now is, you know, I think I've already gone through my midlife crisis. I did that a few years ago. And now I'm getting to the stage in my life. You know, I'm 53 years old. My kids are getting older. You know, my oldest son is 18. And it was shocking last week to actually think that my oldest son is going to be leaving us probably in July or August of this year. Now, my oldest son, hey, good morning, Mr. Coley. I appreciate you coming in. But my oldest son, uh, he has autism. He's on the autism spectrum. And he is going to be going off to a community college uh, come the fall. And the current school that he's in is a therapeutic school for kids on the autism spectrum. And they put together a building. So they have like a dorm in the city near, near where we live. I mean, he's not going to the other end of the country, but he's, he's going to be moving into a dorm with other kids like him. They're going to have all kinds of support systems, like an RA, like health services, like counseling, and all these different things that are going to help support him, you know, living on his loan, they're going to give him transportation to his job, transportation to his college, and a lot of good things that are really going to, you know, help his life. But it made me really realize that, man, my first baby, you know, is going to be moving out. And I think in general, you know, a lot of times in, I guess, conventional families, maybe in the past, it's been mothers a lot that maybe felt this more than dads. I mean, I don't know if that's correct or not, but for me, I've always had a job where I've worked remotely out of the house. So I've been, I've been doing the remote thing for 30 years. I've been doing that since the time I got out of college. I've really never worked in an office. So I've, I've always been remote and my wife has been the person in our family that's kind of gotten up and gone to work because her job is outside of the house. So I, you know, I've been the guy that more so than my wife is the one that, you know, took care of the kids when they were sick is the one that, uh, you know, drove them to their sporting events, you know, had to bring them to school, pick them up at school and do all, do all these different things. If there were snow days, you know, a lot of times I was the guy that was home, you know, taking care of the kids more so than my wife because she was out, you know, seeing patients being that she's in healthcare. So for me, you know, the roles were almost you know, changed, I guess. I mean, and, and you have to understand, I mean, for the younger people in here that maybe listen to my show, you know, I know now it's very common for you know, maybe men to stay home and for women to go to work. But now at my age, at the age of 53, I was growing up in the 1970s 
and in the 1970s, it was a very, very rare thing for a woman to be the breadwinner in a family. It's it just the way the, the world was. I'm, I'm not making any political statement about it. I'm not saying women weren't capable of making money. It's just the way the world was when I grew up. The man, the father, left the house every day and went to work. There were very few people that worked remotely back in those days and generally the mom stayed home and took care of the kids and you know that, that was hard for a lot of women where they had to compromise their lives and they weren't able to follow career paths because the expectation of a woman back in the 1970s and even the 1980s was to stay home and take care of your children so you know that's how i grew up i mean my mother was a nurse so she did have a job but she worked part-time just a couple of days a week and my father was the guy that left every day and i still remember thinking as a kid i was like man you know this doesn't seem fair you know I'd see my father leaving the house at five o'clock in the morning. He'd come home at seven o'clock at night. He worked his ass off, you know, just to put food on the table for my family. And I never thought it, was, thought it was fair that he had to work so hard. And I never thought it was fair that my mother wasn't able to work so hard because the expectation was that she stayed home and take care of the family. But those were, those were the roles back then. That's what people did back in the seventies and eighties. So for me now, you know, even though I did work, I did work out of the house. I mean, I did travel for my job. You know, I did go out to, to buildings and I had to travel on planes to different parts of the country from time to time. But for the most part, on a day to day basis, I was the guy that stayed home, you know, with my kids more than my wife did. And for me, growing up in the 70s and 80s, you know, that was kind of a different outcome, I guess, than I expected, but one that I've always enjoyed. It, it was never a threat to me as a man. You know, it never made me feel. Like, you know, I was less than anything because my wife was, was the one that left the house and I stayed home with the kids. Um, it was something I enjoyed. You know, I I've, I've, I've can say that I've literally enjoyed every, well, I shouldn't say every moment. There have been a lot of moments that have been difficult, but I've enjoyed the entire picture of having my children home, you know, doing all the things that I guess traditionally a mom may have done back in the old days when I grew up. And now, as my kids are getting older, you know, my oldest son, like I mentioned, is 18. He's leaving in, in August. And honestly, it breaks my heart to think about him leaving the house, you know, because he, he's been around and been, you know, such a, I guess, a big part of my life for the last 18 years. I mean, I know he's not going away permanently and he's not going to be living that far away from me, but it's going to be very different not to have him, you know, in the house. I mean, there are days when, you know, he and I are at each other's throats. We don't get along. He can be difficult and stubborn, and <laughs> I guess I don't know where he gets that from, right? I guess probably me. He's just like me. He's stubborn and a pain in the ass, and I know my wife could attest to that. But the thought of him leaving, you know, in a couple of months is, is a hard thought to deal with. And then, you know, a couple of years after that, it's going to be my daughter, you know, because I got married, you know, at the age of 33, and we had our first kid when I was 35. You know, we had the kids quickly because I was already old. So we had, you know, kids uh, in a very close period of time. So, you know, we've got an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And they're going to be leaving very quickly in a short amount of time. You know, my daughter's going to go off to college. She's a sophomore in high school now. So she, we've got a couple of years left with her. And then, you know, my, my, other, my third is only a year younger than her, but he's in eighth grade. So we've got a few more years with him. And then my youngest will be gone. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a huge adjustment. When, you know, I've spent so much time doing all these different activities with my children and taking care of my children and being there for my children for when they all leave the house. I mean, man, I, I don't know how my wife and I are going to adjust to that. I mean, it's starting to hit us now that, you know, man, when your kids, are, when your kids leave and you have that emptiness syndrome, it's definitely going to be just a different way of life for us. And uh, it's, just, it's scary. It's scary. It's sad. And, 
you know, I, I hate to think of, I guess, you know, my kids all being gone. So it, it's just kind of a weird thing that's been hitting me, you know, lately. And I know that parents all have to deal with this. I mean, part of raising children is raising kids that you hope are going to be productive members of society. You hope that your children are going to go out and do good things and be happy. And, you know, if they want to have a family, you know, have that family. And, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I, and I, I will say also, you know, being a father for me has been a very rewarding thing in a lot of different ways. You know, there were that when, when my kids were little, there were a lot of challenges in raising young children. I mean, my oldest son, as I've mentioned many times, has autism. He has Tourette's syndrome. He has OCD. He has ADHD. He's got a host of problems, and he's he's come so far and he's worked so hard, and we're so proud of how far he has come. But I mean, he had so many challenges when he was young. But then, as your kids get older. You know, the, the problems change, but they become a lot more complex. You know, I know that there are probably young parents out there that have young children and, you know, they can be a pain man when they hit the terrible twos and they start throwing tantrums and they start, you know, ripping things out of your cabinets when they can figure out how to walk. And, you know, the, there are all these challenges with young children. But as they get older, man, the, 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 the problems get more serious. You know, you've got you've got problems where your kids are being bullied. You've got problems where... You know, there are certain people out there that don't respect the fact that you have children and don't respect the fact that you have a family and will do very negative things to take away from your family and your children. I, mean, I can't get specific about this, but I know that there are a lot of families out there that deal with a lot of different things where their children have been abused physically, where children have been abused sexually. And there are a lot of people out there that have children. And once they get into these teenage years, start to realize that maybe some of the people that they thought they could trust, they actually could not trust. And that is a very scary thought. And I can't go too deep into that because, you know, again, I live in a small town. But there are things I hear from certain people that have teenagers that the teenagers have really gone down a very dark path because some of the things that maybe have happened to them. So I guess, you know, if there are young parents out there, you know, I, I think back on some of the things I did as a young father and my wife did as a young mother. And if you have feelings that you need to protect your children, then I think you need to follow the, those instincts. Like I think there were a lot of times when my kids were young and maybe I thought I was being a little too overprotective of my children and wouldn't let them do certain things. Like we didn't let our kids do a lot of sleepovers. We just didn't trust the fact of having our kids sleeping over in other people's houses. And then, you know, you hear stories and I've heard personal stories from people that are young children that have gone on sleepovers and they've had parents of people that you thought you could trust actually do inappropriate things to children. And I think you need to be very, very careful as a parent. You need to make sure that you protect your children. If you have a bad feeling about letting your child do something, I think that you really need to follow your feeling, follow that little voice inside of you, trust in your instincts. And if you feel like you need to protect your child from something, then go out and protect your child because you're the only one that's going to do that. You know, as a parent, your children rely on you as being the protector. Your children rely on you, especially when they're young to prevent people from taking advantage of them or doing inappropriate things to them. And it's, it's something that, you know, has haunted me for a long time. It, it's so true. You know, Tony, I see your comment down there. Yes. You know, I, you, you think that, you know, people, you think that you can trust people, but then unfortunately when you trust people and sometimes it's the people who are, or seem to be 
closest to you. You feel like you can trust them. But then those are the people a lot of times are the ones that are getting close so they could take advantage. And you have to be very, very careful as a parent. So if you're a parent out there and your kids are telling you, you know, you're too strict, you don't let me do anything, you know, why can't I go to a sleepover at this person's house? You know, why don't you let me do this? You're doing the right thing if you are preventing that from happening because I know personally people that have allowed their children to go on things like sleepovers to people that they trusted and they knew and they spent years with and they felt like they were friends only to find out that these people, you know, are abusers and they are grooming your children and they are taking advantage of your children. And Tony, I'm sorry that happened to you. I, I know someone that this happened to as well, and it absolutely breaks my heart to see that people sometimes that you think you can trust, I mean, they could be close friends, they could be family members, they could be anybody, they could be anybody, and when the truth of it comes down to it, you really, sadly, in this life, cannot trust anybody with your children other than yourself. I mean, you know that these are your precious babies. They, you know, you you gave them life. You brought them into this world. And honestly, if you, if you have those feelings that, you know, your kids are pushing for a sleepover and you just don't feel comfortable, it is your job as a parent to protect your children. It's your job to, to, to protect them. It just is, period. Because they, as young children, do not understand some of the evils that exist in this world. They don't understand some of the bad people, how they can hide being bad people, but they actually exist in plain sight and you think they're good people because you really, you really as a parent can't trust anybody with your children. You have to be protective. So, you know, kind of, kind of just talking today a little bit about, you know, me being a father, um, you know, over the years, I, I did a show the other day called, you know, am I a good person? I'm not sure if anybody downloaded that or was in my live and listened to that, but I had a pretty, pretty big audience in that. And I've had a lot of people download that show and it's made me think, you know, I guess as I'm 53 years old now, I start reflecting, I'm reflecting on my life more. And it's funny, you know, if some of you guys are younger in here, it's funny how life works. You know, I, I don't feel at 53 really any different than when I was 23 or 13 even, but you do feel differently about some things. Like, you know, one thing, when I was younger that I was very afraid of was actually thinking about death, you know, dying, passing on, moving on, you know, whatever that, whatever that means. It's funny. It's something that I really don't fear anymore. I, w I was actually very afraid of death at a very young age. And it was something I thought about it a lot. It was really a terrifying thought at this point in my life. You know, it doesn't scare me as much as it did at one point. I'm not sure why I think maybe as I've gotten older, I've gotten better, you know, in dealing with things that used to scare me and fear and all that type of thing. But in addition to, you know, the show I did the other day where I was talking about, you know, am I a good person? It made me reflect a little bit more in my older age as, you know, to whether or not I've been a good father. You know, it, it's a tough thing to think about. You know, have we been good parents? Have I been a good father? You know, have I done all the things that I was supposed to do? I guess, as a father. And, you know, you, you think about a lot about that as your kids get older. And I think it's good sometimes to reflect on your life and you don't want to beat yourself up because, I mean, every parent makes mistakes. I mean, I've been a parent now for, you know, 18 years and man, you know, <laughs> you, you could fill a house up with all the mistakes I've made as a parent, you know, and I'm not talking about, 
the people that maybe were friends with me on Facebook that see all my selected perfect family moments that we actually put up on Facebook and social media, you know, you, you never put on Facebook, you know, that big fight you have with your son where you're yelling at each other or, you know, that bad decision you made about your daughter, you know, with your daughter that didn't work out or whatever. Those are the things that, that don't make it onto your social media platform. But those are the things that you think about when you're reflecting on whether or not, you know, you're a good parent. And, you know, the way I grew up, I grew up in New Hampshire. I had two parents. You know, I, I was born in the late 60s. I'm 53 years old. I lived in the 70s. I lived in the 80s. And I grew up in a home like a lot of people out there did that I guess you could consider would be a very, in some ways, unstable home. And it was kind of a complicated home. So to, to say completely that it was 100% unstable is kind of a difficult thing to say. And I did learn some good things, you know, from my parents. And I don't want to be that kid, you know, that is completely blaming his parents for everything. I mean, my, my, my parents were presented with very difficult circumstances in their life. And I think that they did the best that they could do. And as a young child and as a young man, I remember saying to myself, well, you know, damn it, I'm going to be a better parent than my parents were. My parents were lousy parents. They did this. They did that. They yelled at me. You know, my father was abusive and he was. And, you know, I remember proclaiming to myself and telling them point blank at times that you know, you're not good parents. And I was going to be this, this perfect father, you know, and I was going to be, I guess, you know, the best father I could be when I became a parent. And I, I think that I've really tried over the course of my life to be the best parent I could be. But I'll tell you, man, for, for those of you out there that are not parents yet, or you don't want to be parents, man, parenting is hard. It's not easy. I mean, there is no manual. You know, there's no book that tells you how to do it. You know, you're given a child and after a few days in the hospital, man, you bring that baby home with you. And I still remember with our first child, Matt, when, you know, we finally got the okay to bring him home. I was terrified. I'm like, oh, my God, I've never even changed a diaper in my life. How am I going to bring this kid home with my wife and take care of this kid? I mean, we don't, I don't know how to feed him. I don't know how to do anything. And there's no real class to teach you how to do that. Or no, or no manual. I guess there are manuals. I didn't read any. But, you know, being a, being a parent is an amazing thing. It's a scary thing. It's a hard thing. It's a rewarding thing. There are so many positive things and some negative things about being a parent. I think back on my family, you know, to go back to talking about how I was raised, you know, I had a father that grew up in a very poor home, and he had parents that uh, I think, from what I could tell, I believe that my grandfather got my grandmother pregnant accidentally, and they ended up getting married because that's what you did back in the day. I know they slept in separate bedrooms, so they never really had a loving relationship between the two of them. You know, the, my grandfather did the right thing. He married my grandmother, and they raised my, my father, and it was a very abusive home for him. I guess there was a lot of yelling, a lot of abuse, some physical abuse that happened in that house, and I think that that was probably a lot more prevalent even in the 1950s when my father was raised. So, you know, my father had a lot of disappointments in his life. He had a lot of things that didn't work out the way he had hoped they had. And then, you know, he did meet my mother. My mother was a beautiful young woman. Um, we have a, a big fair up in this area. I'm sure everybody has fairs across the country. But we have a fair in Massachusetts called the Topsfield Fair, which is right near Boston. My mother was on the cover of that, uh, you know, that publication one year. And she was just a beautiful young woman. So my father met her. They fell in love. They got married. And then as I think my father, my mother and father got married when they were both 25 years old. I, I was born when they were both 28 years old because they're, they're the same age. And shortly after I was born, when my mother was pregnant with my younger sister, uh, they found out my mother had muscular dystrophy. So she had a very serious disease. 
they told her, you know, when she had it at the age of 33, she'd probably be dead by the time she was 50. So I can't imagine, you know, how scary that was for my father, who was a guy that now had two children. He was working, you know, crazy hours, you know, 70 hours a week to put food on the table for our family. And then found out that at the age of 33, you know, my mother someday was going to die probably by the age of 50. I mean, when you fast forward ahead, my mother lived to be 67 years old. She was a fighter. You know, she really fought that disease and fought for a very long time. But I, I, I think about how hard that must have been for my dad, how hard that must have been for my mother, and how difficult that must have been and how scary it must have been to raise children knowing as a dad that, you know, the, the wife would be gone at some point. Yeah, you know, it, it was hard, man. It was hard. And, you know, so uh, I think about in my family, man, if I, if I had to raise my children without my wife, I mean, you know, I'm a man. I do the best I can do with my children. I, for whatever reason, I don't think I'm as capable in some ways a parent as my wife is. She's just naturally, you know, good with our children in a lot of ways maybe that I'm not. But, man, you know, my, my parents had a rough life. And my father, man, they, they were, he was tough. You know, my father was a yeller. He would yell in the morning. He would yell at night. He would scream. He was emotionally abusive. You know, when he got mad, he would tell us we were stupid, we were worthless, you know, we were every bad name under the book, you know, and just uh, beat us down, man. Beat us down as far as our confidence, beat us down as far as just being a cruel person a lot of times. And there were there were times that he was physically violent. And again, I don't know how this stacks up on the list of people being physically violent, but I remember one day, you know, I was a teenager and we were playing a board game. You know, there was no real Xbox back then. So my, my father and I were playing a board game. And I think I was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, whatever I was. We were playing the game, and I, I ended up losing the game. And I remember I threw the pieces of the game on the floor. Okay? I was being a jerk. I was being a, an annoying teenager. Shouldn't have done it, but, you know, my emotions got the best of me, and I threw the board pieces on the floor. So I went into my room, slammed the door, locked the door, and my father came to the door and basically started pounding on the door, telling me to come out and, you know, pick up the pieces. And honestly, I was kind of afraid because I knew he was abusive. I didn't really want to go out and get my ass kicked. So I said, nope, I'm not coming out. I'm not going to do it. So after a very short amount of time, my father literally ran full speed, knocked the door off his hinges on top of me on the floor and punched me in the face on the floor. Blood all over the place. And, you know, it was... Uh, Again, a pretty scary situation to have that father do that to you. And, and there were a lot of instances of things like that that happened in my house as a kid. So I grew up as, you know, a guy that was fairly bitter towards my father, fairly bitter, you know, towards my mother for allowing a lot of these things to happen. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was, I guess, part of the reason why I did not get married in my 20s and didn't get married until I was 33 years old. I mean, I just didn't want to be a parent. I didn't want to be you know, the type of father that my father was. I didn't want to be an abusive man. I didn't want to be an abusive husband or an abusive father. So I figured the best way to accomplish that was just not to get married, right? So I think throughout my 20s, you know, I had a lot of turmoil, uh, drank a lot, did drugs, partied a lot, went around with a lot of different women and, you know, did made a lot of bad decisions. And honestly, my 20s were kind of a big waste of time in a lot of ways because I did not do the things I need to do to get my life in order during my 20s. For whatever reason, it kind of clicked on me in my late 20s when I was close to 30. My grandmother, who I was very close with, uh, died. You know, she, she was older. She got sick. She was in the hospital. And that night, I had smoked pot, was pretty stoned, 
And I got the call while I was stoned from my parents saying that my grandmother had taken a turn for the worse and this was going to be her last night and I needed to come to the hospital. So I got in my car and drove to the hospital. It was very close to where I lived. It was like maybe tops, a three mile drive. You know, I could have walked, but I drove. It was cold in the winter. And I ended up driving there and I had to watch my grandmother pass away in front of me while I was stoned. And I'll tell you, man, that was nothing. That was probably one of the worst moments of my life is being high and having to watch my grandmother die literally in front of me and slip away from me. So it was a very, very emotional, very scary, you know, very hard thing. Yeah, it was it was not pleasant to watch in that state. So but I think that that was almost one of the defining moments in my life where I was looking at my life saying in my 20s, man, I drank all the time. I mean, I drank a lot in my 20s. I, I wouldn't say that I was an alcoholic, like physically dependent, but I drank a lot. You know, I was in the bars <laughs> all the time, and that's just what I did and drank a lot to the point where I was loaded, you know. So I think that when I watched my grandmother pass away, I was close to the age of 30, and I, for, for whatever reason, it just clicked in, and I felt like, you know what, man, it's time for me to get my shit together. You know, I had a, I had a shitty childhood my parents were abusive. My father was an asshole. You know, my mother got sick when I was very young. You know, there were a lot of negative things that, you know, happened to me over the course of my life. And I figured, you know what? It was time in my late 20s to stop feeling sorry for myself and to get my ass in gear and, you know, go ahead and really determine what type of person I wanted to be. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's it's not, it's not, it's really not impressive. I mean, I don't think it is anyway. I appreciate the compliment that you said that. That does mean a lot to me, but I feel like, you know, I, I lost a lot of time and made a lot of, a lot of bad decisions in my life, but I tried to, you know, turn and redeem it a little bit. And yeah, you know, I, I, same thing here, chronic, you know, I mean, I, I went through a lot and I'm, and I'm sorry that you did when you go, go, go through a lot in your life, you know, it's, it's hard to get over that. And, you know, I don't tell all the stories about the things that happened to me. You know, you heard the one story that I talked about, about my father knocking my door down and punching me in the face. And, but I think for me, my childhood, the, um, the, the physical violence wasn't as bad to me as like the, you know, the emotional, I guess, violence where, you know, we were, we were put down a lot and I just need a minute. Hold on. <laughs> Ooh, didn't expect my show to go in this direction today. Hold on. Man, I don't cry too much. So obviously, you know, hold on. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. I can regain my composure. <laughs> so anyway, you know, it, it was tough. I had, I had a lot of difficult things that happened. Right, I need to play some music. I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. Be back in a minute.
All right, feeling better. I'll be back in a minute, in like 30 seconds. <laughs> Rock always makes me feel better. All right, so here we go. I'm back. I have regained my composure a little bit so I can actually talk. And yeah, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling okay. I mean, I'm I, I'm not a guy that gets embarrassed about getting emotional. I just wanted to be able to talk on the air. But, you know, for whatever reason, into my 50s, you know, I started to think a lot about my childhood. My childhood just absolutely sucked in a lot of different ways. And I know a lot of you, a lot of you deal with that. Um, you know, I see that some of you have made comments in there that life's been difficult for you as well. But I guess, you know, a lot of this has kind of made me reflect a little bit on, you know, what type of person uh, I've been or what type of parent I've been, you know, since I've had children. So I've got my four children now. 18, 15, uh, 14, and 12. And I think overall, I've been a very good parent in some ways. In other ways, you know, maybe it's not as good as I could have been. I mean, but but the good thing for me is I don't feel like I've ever been abusive. I don't think my kids are ever going to walk away from my house saying, man, my father, you know, was abusive. My father screamed at me all the time. My father put us down. I've tried to be the type of father. And I've told them this from, you know, from the time they, that they were young is that, you know, if you want to do something, if you have a dream, you know, don't be afraid of that dream. Try to go after it. And I'm not ever going to be the person that pushes you, pushes you, pushes you to accomplish something. But I will be the guy that if you decide that there's something you want to do in your life, I will be the guy that tries to support you. So I'll be the guy that's in your corner all the time. You know, if you want to be a baseball player, if you want to be you know, a singer, or if you want to be a writer, or if you want to be a teacher, whatever it may be. I, you know, I don't care what your dream is, but it needs to be your dream, and it needs to be something that you love to do. And if it's something that you love to do and you want help from us, I want to be the guy that's there to help you. So I think that, you know, in that way, I've done very well. So let's see, I see Chronic saying, I definitely do not treat my kids the way I've been treated. See, I mean, that, that's a positive thing, right? Chronic, I mean, if, if you you know, had a rough life growing up like I did, and you had parents that maybe, you know, were trying their best, but just couldn't do it for whatever reason, then, you know, you move forward and you were able to raise your kids without the same type of, I guess, abuse or whatever you dealt with, then you did a good job as a parent, right? And I, I've joked with my kids sometimes because, you know, they've seen my father. And I, I guess I, I need to give my my relationship with my parents the full circle. I mean, I got a little bit emotional when I was talking about the abuse I suffered as a kid, and it's hard sometimes not to, but my father and I did make amends and I did forgive my father for a lot of the things that happened because I realized he was up against it with very di difficult circumstances in his own life. So for the last, I don't know, probably 10, 12 years, he and I have had a pretty good relationship. And then unfortunately he had a stroke and he's now got dementia. So, you know, his memory's not, not where he used to be. So we've kind of reverted back into not having, you know, the good relationship that we had because, unfortunately, it's kind of a strange thing with his dementia. It's almost like he's living in, like, 1980, and he talks about a lot of the things, in the, you know, that happened in the 1980s now, and it's almost like he's, he reverted back to living, you know, 30 years ago, which is kind of a, a weird thing. And I'm, I'm going to go see him this afternoon and just sit and talk a little bit. But, I mean, I, th I think in some ways, you know, I've done some good things. Um, there, there are other things that I think I, you know, that I could have done better at. And, you know, I think that in some cases I didn't do all the things maybe I should have done um, to protect my children. And I can't go too deeply into that because I just can't. And it's, you know, th there are certain reasons why I can't. But, you know, I think that there were certain times when I was younger where I was maybe trying to be too much of the cool parent 
and saying, oh, yeah, you want to do this? Go ahead, go do that. We trust you. And it it wasn't that I didn't trust my children, but what I shouldn't have trusted was the other people that were around my children. And that was the mistake that I made. So, you know, like I said earlier, if you're a parent and you have certain feelings about what you need to do to protect your children, if you have, you know, a gut feeling that maybe your child should not be doing sleepovers, should not be you're hanging out with certain kids, you know, if you feel like maybe you're being too, too, too overprotective, you know, just realize it only takes one bad decision sometimes for something negative to happen to your child that's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. And, you know, so I, I think it's important that you do what you need to do. You can't always be, you know, your kid's best friend. You have to do what you feel is best to protect them, to protect their, you know, their innocence when they're young and all these different things that kind of, you know, come up over the course of a life. So, you know, the teenage years for me as a parent, man, the teenage years are different than I expected. I mean, I've always heard nightmares about, man, just wait till you have teenagers, <laughs> you know, just wait. And I guess in some cases it's true. It's hard, but it's different than I expected. You know, when you deal with things like, you know, one of your children having different challenges, another you know, child has been maybe bullied, you know, another one deals with depression off and on, you know, there are things that come up that you just don't expect, you know, and uh, there are things that you have to deal with because life certainly gets real. It really gets real at certain points. You know, I've had uh, one of my children has been in the hospital for depression and suicidal thoughts. And those are things that you never expected or even thought about you'd have to deal with as a parent. But when they come up, I mean, you deal with it, you do the best you can to help and hopefully, you know, in the end, when they're out on their own, doing their own thing, you've prepared them from life and you've hopefully protected them from a lot of the bad things that can come up and, and uh, you've given them a chance to hopefully be happy in their life. So yeah, you know, you're right, Chronic. And it was funny, I've made some jokes because my, you know, my children obviously know my father. They know my father-in-law, who is also kind of a difficult guy. So my wife and I understand each other because I think we were both living in somewhat similar situations. I mean, they're different people, but the family dynamics were kind of similar, you know, for both of us in a lot of different ways. So I joke with my children sometimes, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I'll say, well, hey, honey, you know, or or son, look at it this way. Your grandchildren have a chance to be normal. You know, we've made improvements in our family over the last four years. And we figure if we look forward, maybe like two or three generations, if we keep growing as a family, maybe by that point, we'll have like a well-balanced, you know, happy existence as a family. So, yeah, see, you know everything they want to try to do, right? I mean, isn't that important? I mean, when you're when you're a kid and when you're young, and even you know when you get to be our age, it's important to have dreams. It's important to want to do you know different things with your life. And chronic, I'm sure you know for you, it's very similar for me. You know, I'm doing this podcast because for me it was a long forgotten dream. And again, I have no illusions that I'm going to be you know on Sirius XM Radio in two years. I'm doing the podcast because I enjoy doing it. When I stop enjoy doing it, I'll just won't do it anymore. But for me, you know, I wanted to be a broadcaster way back when I was younger in my in college and my life never went in that direction. I did get a degree in college for broadcasting and figured, you know, what the hell? I'm going to start this podcast. It was helped by the pandemic. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, you know, you have a great show. There are a lot of good shows on on Podbean, and I feel that mine mine's okay. I mean, I think that some of my topics are good. Sometimes I talk talk too much about politics and things like that, but I try to talk about what's I'm you know what's what I'm thinking about, what's happening in my life, you know, what's going on in my heart in that given time, and um, you know, it's it's. I'm trying to live this dream and there are other things that I still want to do, you know, as I get older. Oh, I know. Right. 
you know, oh, man, Biden is was certainly not my choice. And I don't like the fact he's come in and uh, given, what was it, like 40 executive orders in like 10 days. It's going to be a long four years as far as I'm concerned. So we'll see. So, hey, Maria's Women's Bible Study Corner podcast entered the live studio. Well, actually, you know what? I've been in your show, Maria. I see Maria just came in. She's got the Maria Women's Bible Study Corner podcast. And I actually popped into that show one day and actually listened to the women in that uh, show uh, discuss the Bible. That's actually a very good show. I really enjoyed being in that show. So welcome to coming in. Oh, you're right, Chronic. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, and when, when he ended the jobs for the people in the Keystone Pipeline, um, you know, that, that those, are, those are family men. Those are family men, family women that were paying you know, they, they were getting paid so they could feed their children, they could feed their families, they could just be parents like we all want to be. And I guess, you know, that whole Keystone Pipeline was shut down under the guise that it was, you know, for climate change. But I'm not sure how shutting down our ability to be self-reliant on oil is any is a better decision than buying oil from our enemies in the Middle East, allowing tankers to bring that oil to the United States. Now, do you know what happens with a tanker? When, the, when you know, a tanker, like a small boat, has a bilge, like a, an undercarriage of the boat where water fills up and different things fill up. Now, on these giant tankers, they have huge bilge pockets in these yachts or boats or whatever you want to call them, tankers. And when they fill with water, they fill with a, wa a combination of water and oil. And these giant structures dump that bilge into the ocean. So as they're driving, I mean, they're literally dumping thousands of gallons of oil right into the ocean. So when we're transporting that oil from the Middle East to the United States, not through a pipeline, but through uh, a tanker, they're dumping oil into the ocean. And I'm not sure how that actually results in a cleaner planet, but he is, he, you know, he's a predator. I mean, I see a lot of the things that, um, you know, a lot of the pictures of him with young children young children pulling away from him. And that is something that's very close to me, very close to my heart, where I do feel that you cannot trust people with your children. And you look at a guy like him. I mean, he, to me, has all the earmarks of being a sexual predator. And I agree completely. That's part of the thing I was talking about in being a father. You know, it's your job to protect your children. And when you look at a guy like that, I mean, he's he's got the, the stink of that all over him. And I, I don't understand how people support him as a president. Uh, just not, you know, not my type of, not my type of president. He really is not. So, I mean, I talk a lot about that, you know, a lot about politics on my show and I'm sure all of you have heard that, but you know, we, we, in this country, you know, to kind of transition away, I was talking about family and me as a father, um, uh, has tech was, was it okay for Trump to abuse women? And let me be very clear on that. It is not okay for anybody to abuse women. It was not okay for Bill Clinton to abuse women. It was not okay for many of the Hollywood elite that have gone to Epstein's Island to abuse women. It was not okay for Bill Clinton to abuse women. It was not okay for Joe Biden to hold one of his aides up against the wall and digitally rape her while he was um, in office. There are a lot of people out there that abuse women. And I have people that are close to me that have been abused by men. And to me, it is disgusting and it is never okay. It is never okay. Absolutely not. So, no. If Trump abused women uh, like they report he did, then it was disgusting, it was wrong, and it should not happen. But that's something I hear a lot of times from people who are Biden supporters. 
well, Trump abused women. So, oh yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. I mean, no way. I mean, it's never okay to abuse a woman and it's disgusting and reprehensible to me to matter who did it. I mean, that's why I, I can't understand how this whole controversy with Epstein's Island, how that's all been buried. I mean, have you all Googled some of those names that were on that list? I mean, we're talking about people on the left, people on the right, the most powerful people in this world were visiting that island and having sex with children. And really, it's been buried. I mean, you haven't heard anything about those names. No one's condemned those names. I mean, I see even people are talking about a guy like Tom Hanks has been on that list. I mean, that breaks my heart. I love Tom Hanks. He's one of my favorite actors. I don't care what he stands for politically. I mean, I just love the guy in films. And to think that he did something like that to me is just absolutely disgusting. But I mean, that you know, the problem we have, I've thought a lot about the problems we have politically in this world right now. And the problem we have in the United States of America is we are fighting as people, you know, left and right. We're against each other. You know, if I say Biden sniffs children, then you come back and say Trump abuses women. And I come back and say, well, Clinton abused, you know, Monica Lewinsky and went to Epstein's Island 26 times. When we do that, when we fight constantly and when You've got the left rioting in the Pacific Northwest, and you've got the right attacking the Capitol building. We are fighting, and the rich and the wealthy are winning the war. I mean, basic stuff, Sun Tzu, the art of war, divide and conquer. We have been divided, and we've been conquered. And if you think anybody in government truly cares about our well-being, they do not. They don't care about us. And, you know, they, they are there as part of a bigger operation in this country where you have a wealthy group of people who like being wealthy. They want to remain being wealthy. They want to have all the power and they don't give a damn either way, whether you're healthy, whether you're sick, whether you have money, whether you have no money, whether you're happy, whether you're unhappy, they don't care. They don't care. And I think that what gets me the most is you hear stories about how, you know, and again, I'm more Republican, so this is kind of the way I weigh in, is I see people on the left. They always vote Democrat because they feel that the Democrats are going to help the poor. They're going to help the African-Americans. They're going to help women. And in some cases, they do do some things and that are correct. Well, if Tom Hanks wants to take me to court, let him take me to court. But if he molested children, then he's a fucking disgusting human being and he deserved to be in prison. So, Tom Hanks, if you want to spend your money coming after me, go ahead. But you were on lists <laughs> and you, you know, were, were said to have traveled to Epstein's Island. So if that's the case, that's something you have to live with. And I'm sure that, you know, the the amount of attention my show gets isn't going to probably worry Tom Hanks too much, being that I'm a small little podcast. But, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that are on that list, and I think that they all need to answer for themselves and explain why they were traveling to Pedophile Island. You know, it seems like it's widespread across all of media that many of the, the politicians, many of the actors in society, many of them were on that island. They were on his plane, and that's very, very sad to hear. I mean, I don't know if any of you read the stories. Did you see the stories that Corey Feldman came out about? where, I mean, everyone dismissed him as being crazy. He's a drug addict. But Corey Feldman, if you remember him from back in the 80s, 
you had stories of Corey, you know, you had movies with Corey Feldman and Corey Haim were together in all those 80s movies. They were great together. Corey Haim was a cute young kid. There was a lot of different movies. Well, Corey Feldman came out and told the story that Corey Haim committed suicide because he was constantly sexually abused by the powerful people in Hollywood. And he claims point blank that one of the people that actually raped Corey Haim right in plain sight of other people was Charlie Sheen said that, you know, point blank, that Charlie Sheen raped Corey Haim. He did it in front of other people. Other people saw it and it was just tolerated. And what would happen is the parents would come and, you know, you're dropping your kids off in, you know, a Hollywood studio. You think that they would be safe going to work for the day. Well, they were surrounded a lot of times by pedophiles. And Corey Feldman talks about how many of the young children, who were in movies were all sexually assaulted because you had so many pedophiles in Hollywood. And, you know, when you hear a story about, you know, Corey Haim committing suicide because he was raped by numerous people, including one being Charlie Sheen, a pretty famous actor today. And again, that's not me. That's Corey Feldman coming out and saying it point blank. Of course, you know, the left in Hollywood came out and said, oh, there's no truth to that. And they made it seem like Corey Feldman was absolutely nuts. But why would he come out and accuse someone like that for something like that, unless it really happened. I mean, why would you possibly come out and do that? So I see chronic saying if they, they say Pizzagate is real and the left censored it, it must be true. The Aquaman guy had a video. Did he really? I didn't see that. So the Aquaman guy had a video of touching kids and the video has been removed. I didn't see that. That's disgusting. And you know, that goes back to the question, you know, has that you asked about, you know, women, uh, if, if, if Trump did it, is it okay? Hell no, hell no, it isn't. I know women that have been abused. I know women that have been uh, taken advantage of, you know, when they were younger, uh, even when they were older, and it's never okay. It's never okay. It's disgusting. And that that brings back the point, you know, in this country, we've got Biden as president now. I mean, he's been in, you know, for 10 days now or 12 days. Remember, he came out and said back in the fall that, and again, this is what the left had said, you know, about Trump over and over again, that Trump mismanaged COVID. Trump was a disaster. Trump had no plan to stop COVID from spreading, you know, because he didn't tell everybody to wear masks every moment of the day. But now you've got Biden in office. Back in October, he made a statement saying that he's going to unveil his big plan in the first days of his presidency, and he was going to stop the spread of COVID. So what does he do? He comes out <laughs> uh, like in his third or fourth day as president and says, yeah, remember all that stuff I said before? Well, actually, there's nothing I can do to prevent the trajectory of COVID from getting worse. So, I mean, you know, these people come out and to get into office and both sides do it, the left or the right, they tell us everything we want to hear. They tell us this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. These are, you know, th this is how we're going to improve the country. But generally, when they get into office, all that stuff goes away and they just do what they want to do anyway. I think that the one reason people like Trump, and I know there's Trump haters out there, and that's okay. And for anybody that comes in here, if you don't like Trump, that's okay. Feel free to speak out. I'm not, I don't get angry at you. I may disagree with you, but we can still be friends. We don't have to agree on everything. I mean, that's what makes this country great. But when you look at Trump, the one thing I did like about him is, did he say stupid things? Absolutely. When he made the comments, 
and did the gestures making fun of the special needs uh, reporter. That pissed me off. I have a son that has autism, and that pissed me off. I mean, I was really angry about that. But then I reflected on it, and I did realize that, you know, for better or worse, it is a free country. We should have the right to say and do things we want to do, even if they're stupid things. And I think that if you say enough stupid things, it works against you in life. So it kind of weeds itself out a little bit. But the one thing I did like about Trump is when he came into office, he said all the things he was going to do. Now, you may not have agreed with him building a wall. You may not have agreed with him you know, deporting illegal immigrants in this country. And that's, and that's fine. That's your, that's your right not to agree with those things. But I think in general, he laid out a platform of the different things he was going to try to do. And he went down that list and checked off those boxes and did a lot of the things he said he was going to do. So I think that that's why there was a lot of Americans that actually liked him and supported him because he actually didn't do the political thing where he made you a hundred promises and didn't come true on any of them. So I think that's why, you know, people have been really frustrated. So I see, I'm looking up at the chat. Chronic said women are still scared to come out. Of course they are. Of course they are because women come out. I mean, if you look at what even happened with the woman that came out and spoke against Joe Biden, and again, there have been women that came out and spoke against Trump, against Clinton, they are degraded. They are being called liars. They are painted as being women who are just out for money and they are discredited from day one. I mean, that's what happened when you know, if you even look at, you know, Bill Clinton, I mean, what was the one woman? There was a woman that posts all the time in Twitter. I can't think of her name now. I, I, I see her, her tweets all the time. But she talks about, you know, her being uh, literally, literally like violently raped by Bill Clinton, where he bit her and everything during the encounter. And she came out, she told her story, and she's been labeled as a liar. She's been labeled as crazy. And I mean, this guy, you know, held her down and during the process of forcing her, bit her in several paces on her body. I mean, that is, to me, is just disgusting. I mean, it shows what type of vile creature he is, and so many of these other politicians are as well. So is this Danny's brother? You know, Michael, I got to tell you, you got to help me come up with a good, like, response to that. Literally, I've had this name my whole life, and I have no viable response to whether or not I'm Danny's brother. So you got to come up and help me out a little bit. Unfortunately, no relation to Danny. Uh, I do like him as an actor, and it would be kind of funny to meet him. But, yeah, no relation whatsoever. So, yeah, you're right. They don't know how to contain it. None of them. Let's see. Oh, I see um, Marquini saying, okay, but we have all done things we have repented of. He's accepted Christ. Yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, I, I do think it's very important to repent for our sins. I, I've made a lot of mistakes over the course of my life. You're absolutely right. And it is good to get to a point in your life where you realize some of the things I did when I was younger or in past days were not the right decisions. They were bad decisions. And you, it is good that you get to a point where you can repent of your sins. But in my opinion, just because you repent of your sins doesn't mean that you are completely forgiven for all of the things you have done to hurt other people. I mean, if you went out and you raped people and if you injured people and if you physically abused people, it's great that you repented and God may forgive you, but you still have to think about the damage you did, the damage that still exists in the wake of your actions. And, you know, it, it doesn't just go away. I mean, if you, if you were raping children and all of a sudden you repented of your sins, okay, maybe God has forgiven you. Maybe you've turned your life around. Maybe you do good things moving forward now, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that you hurt other people in the process. So I, in, in my mind, it doesn't give you complete forgiveness. Now, you know, keep in mind, I'm a guy 
I know it's Sunday. I know probably some of the people coming into the show are from some of the many religious shows that are on right now. I'm a guy that grew up Catholic and I was raised in a Catholic family, a very Catholic family. I went to a Catholic high school. It was all boys at the time. It's now a co-ed school. And I was a Catholic my whole life. And I guess I'm still a Catholic. I guess I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore. And I think one of the defining moments in my life in being a Catholic was when I was in high school, I was a football player and you know, I was a decent student, not a great student, but a decent student. And I was in a, in a school that was, had pretty high academic standards. I was struggling in an advanced math class. So I was going to drop that math class because I did not need it for college. So I went into my guidance counselor and said, listen, I'd like to drop. I think it was Algebra 2 or whatever I was in. And I'd like to you know, drop this if I could. And he said, listen, John, if we can get you back up to speed, we have a tutor that's in this school. He could pull you out of class, put you in this private classroom, and he could help you get back up to speed in this math class. Would you be open to that? And at that point, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'll give that a shot. I mean, I, I don't hate math, and you know, I'm having a really hard time right now. But if this guy can actually help me understand what's going on, sure, I'll give it a go. So it turned out that they created a class for three people. Two of them were football players, myself and another football player on the team. We were both very big people. You know, we played football in high school. When I graduated high school, I was 6'4", 245 pounds. The guy that was in there with us, with me, was an offensive tackle on our team. He was 6'5", 290 pounds. And then we had um, another guy who was very feminine, you know, very small. He was probably, I don't know, 5'6", maybe 130 pounds. And I don't know, you know, if he was gay or not. I mean, we really didn't talk about that stuff back in the 80s too much. But he was just, uh, you know, a little bit different than we were. And he was a lot more demure in his, you know, in his, in his, presence and everything like that. So after about a week in this class, I will admit this teacher was amazing. He was very old. He was probably in his 80s. He was teaching his algebra too. He was getting his back up to speed. And he was really very good. He would put us up, you know, back in the day in the blackboard and we'd be working out problems on the board. He would tell us where we were going wrong. And he was really good. So I started to understand you know, what I had been doing wrong and was understanding the concepts. And I was hopefully going to be able to get back into the class and you know do the things I needed to do. So after about a week, the, the, the smaller demure kid who was sitting behind us in class started saying to me and the other football player that was in the room that, uh, Hey guys, you know, brother has been touching me. And we were both, you know, we were both whatever we were 17, 18 years old. And, when you hear someone say something like that, when you're that young, you're just like, shut up. No, he isn't. Brother's not touching him. He was an old man, you know, probably 80 years old. And we just kind of laughed it off and, you know, didn't, I guess, respond appropriately. We, 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 we responded as immature 17 year old boys to him. And we got along with this kid. It's not like we, you know, we didn't bully this kid or anything like that. We, we like, we knew him. We liked him. We got along with him fine. We just kind of laughed it off a little bit. So then a couple of days later, we were taking a test in this class in my Catholic high school. And this was a test that, you know, if we did well on it, we'd go back into class, which was great. So it was me and the other football player was sitting side by side in the front of the class. And the third kid was sitting back behind us, almost in like a upside down triangle formation. Okay. So the two of us were next to each other. He was behind us by himself directly in between the two of us, a few feet behind us. So we're taking the test. We're working away. And then all of a sudden I hear the kid behind us saying, brother, brother, no, brother, stop, brother, stop it, please stop it. And then I heard breathing, heavy breathing. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Thank you very much, Chronic. So I turned around and I looked, looked behind me and I saw the brother had his hand between this kid's legs. 
and he was rubbing his crotch in the room and the brother was breathing heavily. The kid was trying to fight him off and he couldn't fight him off. And the brother was blatantly molesting him right in front of us. So the class ended and the other guy and myself went right down to the principal's office and we reported what happened. And I remember the principal told us point blank, don't tell anybody what happened. You keep your mouth shut. I'm going to take care of this. So he stormed out of that office and he was a tough guy. He was a disciplinarian, kind of a scary guy. And back in those days in the Catholic schools, you know, the teachers could hit you. So I didn't want to get down there and get belted by this guy. But uh, he stormed out and we never saw that teacher again. So I'm guessing he was moved somewhere else. But we point blank saw a kid molested right in front of us in our Catholic high school. And then we saw it covered up. And, you know, for me, I think ever since that happened, I know that that was one man making a bad decision, but that affected me my whole life and affected the fact that I found it very difficult to support a religion that condoned the abuse of so many children over the course of so many years in the Catholic Church. So for me, I think that that caused me to walk away a little bit from organized religions. But what I have formed since then is I think I have a very spiritual relationship with our God. I definitely believe there's a God 100%. I have no doubt in my mind. I look at the human body. I look at all of the creations on this planet. I look at everything that we have, and I find it almost impossible that, you know, we were just a random happening of a big bang. I, I, I see intelligent design, I see creation, and I believe that we do have a higher power that kind of governs us and loves us. So every night when I go to bed, you know, I pray to God, I ask for God to make me a better father, to make me a better person. If I've done bad things in the course of that day or made bad decisions, I do ask for forgiveness. But I think when I do repent for the things I've done and I ask for forgiveness, I'm asking God to forgive me, but I, I do also realize that the bad things I've done or the poor decisions I've made still have affected other people, and they've potentially affected the trajectory of other people's lives. So I think you need to be very careful with that, you know, when making decisions in your life. But I mean, none, none of us are right, man. I mean, we, we all, I mean, none, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all make bad decisions. That's something that's, I think, so prevalent in all of us. And I think that if you've done bad things in your life or you've made bad decisions, God knows I've made so many of them. You can't beat yourself up. You, the only thing you can do moving forward is repent, is to try to forgive yourself. If you've done things to other people, maybe look for redemption in their eyes. You know, I think back upon when I was younger, one of the things that haunted me for many, many years. Now, you know, again, as, as I told you a little while ago, I was, you know, captain of the football team. I was kind of popular in high school. High school still was terrible, but at least I got, got to go through it being popular. There was a kid in my school. Yeah, you, you have to. There's no doubt about it. In, in order to heal, you must forgive. You must forgive. And I'm going to get into that in a second. I'm actually glad you brought that up because that is a huge point and a very important point. But there was a kid in my high school that uh, he got bullied a lot. He got bullied a lot. You know, he really did. And I was not a bully. You know, I was a guy that 99% of the time I stood up for the bullies. A lot of the kids who were being bullied would come to me because I, I was big. I was captain of the football team. They'd tell me what was going on. And I tried to help a lot of the kids and do the right thing. There was one kid in particular. Oh, man. I think about this kid even to this day. I won't mention his name out of respect, but he was abused relentlessly, relentlessly. This poor kid, I honestly don't know how he got up in the morning, put his clothes on, and went to school. The more I think about it now, I mean, the way the kids treated this person 
was inhuman. It was cruel. It was mean. And unfortunately, I did not do the right thing and stand up for this kid. And there was one time in particular, and I'm ashamed to say this, but hey, you know, if I'm going to be real here, I'm going to be real and tell the truth. There was a time we were on a bus going somewhere. I don't remember where we were going because I generally drove back and forth to school. It was a private school. So I don't know why I was on a bus, but I was on a bus. Maybe we were going to a field trip. I don't know why we were on the bus. But this kid didn't play sports, so it wasn't a sports bus. So I don't know why why we were there. But I remember, you know, kids were bullying this kid on the bus. There was no bus driver on the bus. We were sitting in the school parking lot waiting to go someplace. And I remember, you know, kids were hitting him and everything else. And I went back, and I hit him myself. I punched him in the stomach. I was beating him down, talking terrible things to him. And that literally haunted me for 30 years that I did that. It never went away. It made me feel like I was a bad person. And in that moment, I was a bad person. I didn't do the right thing. Uh, thankfully, you know, I'm off Facebook now, but I joined Facebook and I happened to come across this young man on Facebook. And I, you know, I added him as a friend. And quite frankly, I didn't think he'd accept my friendship, but he did. And I remember that we, you know, exchanged a couple pleasantries about our families and things like that via private message. But then finally, I was like, you know what? I can't let this go unsaid. So I wrote him a private message and I just said, hey, you know, I want to just speak to you about the way you were treated in school and the way I treated you in school. And I want to let you know that I am deeply, deeply, deeply sorry for the things that happened to you, for the way that you were treated. It was inhumane. I was mean to you. The kids were mean to you. And I wish I hadn't been a coward. I wish I had been the type of person that stood up for you and tried to help you instead of just joining the crowd and being just another bully. So I hope you can find a way in your heart to forgive me for what I did to you. And I said, you know, I, I look back about what happened to you and it was just awful. It was awful. And it should have never, never, never happened. So he did forgive me. He told me, you know, he wrote me back a very kind message saying, John, you know, it was a tough time. I greatly appreciate you writing this to me and I forgive you hundred percent. And I, and I, I wrote back and I said, I appreciate that. But at this point, I don't forgive myself for what I did. And that goes into the, the point that was made in my chat in order to heal, you must forgive. It's so true. You know, in order to heal in this life, you have to forgive. You know, I, I earlier in the show, if you're just coming in now, I got emotional, had some tears, and I had to kind of play some music for two minutes while I composed myself when I was talking about my family life as a kid, you know, growing up with a very abusive father in a very abusive home. And that's one of the things that I had to learn and I had to do because there was a period of time, you know, right before I got married in my late 20s where I didn't talk to my father for almost three years. We didn't speak. We didn't talk. He was done to me. I didn't want to have anything to do with him because of the things I felt like he had did, he had done that um, affected my life in a very negative way. And what I discovered is in not speaking to him for three years and carrying around that burden and carrying around that grudge and carrying around that hate, what happened was I became weaker. I became consumed with anger. I became consumed with negative feelings, and it affected me as a person. I think that a lot of the negativity that I was carrying with me, a lot of the hate that I was carrying with me, my inability to forgive another person caused me to live an unproductive life for three years where I was unhappy, I was drinking too much, I was making bad decisions, 
and it affected me. So I think that if you've had bad things happen to you in your life, and this is just my two cents worth, I'm no expert, I'm no Dr. Phil, but I'm just saying, if you've had bad things in your life and you've had bad things happen to you, you do need to find a way to forgive people. I mean, I, I wouldn't say forgive and forget because I don't think you can forget people that have done bad things to you in your life. You have to remember so it doesn't happen again, but you have to learn how to forgive people because if you do not, if you not forgive people, you can't heal. You can't heal as a person. You can't heal as a soul. You can't heal and truly move on and be a productive part of your life. So for me, after the years of abuse that I suffered in my home, I was finally able to forgive my father. You know, he wasn't going to be in my wedding, but I forgave him before my wedding. He came you know, to, to my wedding, and it was good to have him there. I'm, gl I'm glad he was there. I'm glad he was a part of it. And honestly, you know, over the course of the years with my four children, you know, my children are now in their teens, he was a pretty good grandfather, you know, and I, and I told him that point blank. I said, listen, you know, we had a lot of things happen in the course of my childhood. You know, my mother got sick. My father had a lot of pressure. There was a lot of negativity in our home. A lot of bad things happened. But when my children were born, I told him point blank. I said, listen, you know, I've forgiven you. I'm, a, I'm an adult now. I'm a man. I realize that life sometimes can be very difficult. I know you were doing the best you could do. I don't hate you. You know, I've forgiven you for the things I feel that were not done, you know, to the way they should have been done. But again, you know, who's perfect? And I told him point blank. I said, listen, with my children, you know, we now have four. You're going to have the ability to form your own relationship with them. I'm not going to poison them against you. I'm not going to tell them about all the negative things that happened. I want you to have the opportunity to form a relationship with my children from who you are now moving forward, not to the guy you used to be. And I'll tell you, he did, you know, he did a very, very good job as a grandfather. He really did. I think he, he took that to heart. And I think my children view him as being a good guy. Um, he's done, you know, he hasn't been perfect, but he's, He's done a lot of good things for my children. So I think, if anything, my children grew up with a healthy vision of their grandfather. And it was the same thing on the other th on the other side of the family. You know, I talk about my father-in-law quite a bit also. You know, my father-in-law grew up in a tough city outside of Boston. You know, he uh, moved to New Hampshire as a relatively young man to kind of escape the life that lived in his city. You know, b back in the day when he was running around in Boston, those were the days of Whitey Bulger and his gang, and he knew a lot of those guys. And, uh, you know, he, he he knew some tough characters, and you had to be very careful growing up in that area when you were a young kid. And, you know, my father-in-law has done a lot of great things with his life. He's a guy that also has worked his way up and made a good living for his family and did, did a lot of good things. But again, he you know, he was a tough guy to live with, I think, at times, from what I've heard. But he's also been, you know, since my kids were born, just an excellent grandfather. I mean, he tells my kids how much he loves them. He supports them and he goes out of his way to be a good grandfather. So I think you're right. In, in order to heal, as you said, you have to learn to forgive. If you can't forgive people in your life, and I, I'm sure there are people maybe that are in here right now that are listening to me saying, well, something happened to me and I can't possibly forgive that person. You know, when, when I say forgive, I don't mean you have to be friends with the people. I don't mean that you have to, you know, outwardly, you know, get those people back in your life. I mean, if you had someone that did something horrible to you, and I get that you may not be able to completely put everything behind you, that you have baggage you have to deal with, because the decision that that person made had, you know, an effect on your life, a negative effect on your life, and caused you 
to maybe go in a trajectory that you didn't expect. But I think it's important that even if you've had a terrible experience, whether it's with, you know, a, a family friend, a parent, a peer, a coworker, whoever it may be, you've got to learn to forgive yourself. You've got to learn to forgive other people. And you've got to learn to move forward because if you don't do that, you're going to carry around that baggage for the rest of your life and it's going to hold you down as a person. It just is. It happened to me for a long period of time. And I think that finally being able to forgive doesn't make everything go away, but it has allowed me to move forward and look forward into my future as opposed to constantly looking back in my past. Because if you're always looking back in your past, you can never move forward. That's just the way I feel about, you know, things in life and whatever. Now, to go back very quickly to the story I told you all about the, the guy that molested the kid in my high school. Now, I lived with that for a good 20, 30 years. And I really didn't tell many people because I, I don't think I was, I wasn't afraid to tell anybody. It was just one of those things where it just kind of happened. And I don't even know if I told my parents about it back in the day. I may not have. I don't remember. But I didn't really talk about it much. Then my father uh, probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, give or take, he calls me and he says, hey, now I'm reading this thing in the newspaper up here about uh, something that happens to Central Catholic back in the day, your old high school. And could you tell me, you know, do you know anything about this? And I said, well, what is it? And, he, and it was a, the kid that we knew came out in the newspaper and he was demanding money from the school. So he sued the school, was looking for several hundred thousand dollars for pain and suffering, for being abused at the school. And my father asked me about it. And I said, wow. And I'm like, does it say the kid's name? And he says, yes. And he read the name. And I'm like, holy crap. That's the kid that I was in class with. He's coming out. He's trying to extort money from the school. And, you know, I'm not here to judge on that. Maybe that was the right way to go about it. I think he was trying to draw attention to what happened to him and probably trying to get some money also to maybe uh, deal with some of the pain that he suffered. And I get that. I mean, sometimes that's the best way to, I guess, hit some of these organizations is to hit them in the pocket. But, um, you know, he had been molested at that school, and I took it upon myself once I heard that story. I wrote an email to the headmaster of the school who was a new person. He hadn't been there back when this happened, but he had been denying everything that happened at the school. So I ended up writing an email to the headmaster, and I said basically this. You know, I'm going to kind of make it shorter, but I just wrote and said, listen, this is who I am. This is when I went to this school. And I said, I've seen recently or I've heard recently about allegations of abuse in the school back in the 1980s. And I want to let you know, before I tell you this, I don't want anything from you. I don't want money. I'm not reaching out to the young man that's making the allegations. I had a good time at the school. I got a good education. I have no hard feelings about this school at all. And I don't want harm to the school. I need you to understand all of that before I tell you what happened. So I said, I, you know, my father called me and told me about what's been in the, in the newspaper, and I needed to confirm to you, this is what happened. This was the teacher. This is when it happened. This is who was in the room at the time, and this is who it happened to, and this is what happened. And I explained the whole thing out and laid it, laid it out in a very long email. So I didn't hear back from a few for a few days, and then finally I did hear back from the headmaster who wrote me a very heartfelt uh, response just telling me how horrified he was to hear of this because the school had been denying the allegations. And um, he apologized to me saying how traumatic that must have been for you to actually see that and was very, very nice in his response and just saying, you know, you have to understand 
I wasn't affiliated with this school at the time. There was no record whatsoever of this happening anyplace. So we just had this kid coming out and demanding money. And we figured he was, you know, taking advantage of the whole scandal that was happening in the Catholic Church at that time. So I wrote him back and said, hey, like I said, I've got nothing against you, but I wanted you to know, you know, as a person that was in the room and saw it happen, that this did happen. This kid was touched inappropriately. He was molested. And the school should know that it did happen. And I said, I don't agree with him extorting you for money, but I wanted you to know that it happened, that I saw it and I witnessed it and it did happen. So the story all of a sudden went very dark for a long period of time. I heard nothing about it. So I remember I was telling some other friends in the town I live in now about what happened. We were hanging out and I told them the story and I told them about how it went very quiet and I hadn't heard anything more about how it had developed with this kid. So my friend, who's a really smart guy, you know, we were talking a little bit and may have been partaking in, you know, some some alcoholic beverages or whatever. At that point, he said, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought that maybe you reaching out to this principal or this headmaster and telling him, in fact, what happened resulted in the school reaching out to this person and somehow settling with him? And I said, you know, I had never thought about that. Uh, I didn't assume that that would even happen, but maybe it did. So maybe by me writing this headmaster, not that I support him getting any money or anything like that out of the school. I mean, I'm not to judge anybody if that's the right thing or the wrong thing to do, but maybe by me stepping in and speaking up and telling this headmaster that I witnessed the abuse, maybe this kid was able to somehow get closure on what happened to him because, you know, maybe, maybe people would have looked at him and said, well, he's just looking for money. But again, you know, you weren't in the room like we were. You, you didn't see what had happened to this kid. And I can't imagine the the effects that it had on this on this young man in the years after what happened to him. I mean, he was physically abused by a teacher, sexually abused by a teacher. It was buried by the school. I'm not sure what the headmaster at the time said to him, but I know the headmaster told me to keep my mouth shut and not tell anybody. So he silenced me. He silenced the other guy that went down to report what happened that day. And I'm sure maybe some of the same happened to this kid. So this kid, not only was he sexually abused by a person in power in this school, but then he was most likely, I mean, I'm just guessing, but I'm, I'm guessing that he got the same treatment I got. He was probably silenced by the school. And at some point that's going to come out. I mean, at some point, if you've been abused, you've been sexually abused, physically abused, or whatever you have, it's, it's going to have to come out because it's going to affect you as a person. You can't repress those feelings. You can't continue to pretend like it didn't happen. So, you know, I don't know. There's, there's good and bad and everything. And so for me, I think for a very long period of time, it's been very hard for me to be, you know, a practicing Catholic. I think about when my kids were little and we started sending them to CCD, which is, if you're not Catholic, that's like a school that your kids go to, like a religious school, maybe like an hour a week after school where they learn about the Bible and they learn about you know Jesus and his teachings and all that type of stuff. So I remember for me, it was very hard for me to consider sending my kids to CCD when I saw a kid get molested in front of me by a religious person in that church. And then you heard about literally thousands of cases worldwide of children being abused all over the globe I mean, how could I possibly send my children and, in essence, offer them up to these people who could potentially be pedophiles? And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think everyone probably thinks in their mind, that's never going to happen to me. That's never going to happen to my kids. But it happens to a lot of people. And all of those people have parents. So it happens to a lot of kids. And I don't know. It's just it's one of those things where it's a disease in our country. It's a disease in our society. 
If you look about what happened for years in the Catholic Church, if you look about things, you know, like things like Epstein's Island, you look about Harvey Weinstein, all the molestations that happened with all the actors that lived in Hollywood. If you look at all the people in Hollywood and powerful politicians that have been accused of sexual abuse and all those different types of things. I mean, man, you know, I mean, it's widespread. It's a huge problem that we have in this country, in this world. And unless we start standing up and doing something about it, it's going to continue. But going back again to what RM had said, it's so important for us to be able to forgive ourselves and to forgive others. I mean, if you've been sexually abused or if you've been physically abused, it's probably pretty damn hard for you to forgive someone that's done that to you. But I think you have to forgive so that you can move on. Because if you don't forgive and you carry around that, around that weight and you carry around all those terrible feelings and you carry around the hate in your heart, then it makes you become a hateful person. And again, if you think about it, if you're a hateful person, then how are you affecting the lives of other people? Right. So you've had negative things happen to you. You've become hardened. You've become hateful. You've become negative. And then in your day to day life, that's the person that you are. You may not feel that way on the inside, but you maybe you've become that person. And when you're going out and you're interacting with other people in the world, you've become a very hateful person that is now affecting the lives of other people and turning them into hateful people. And it's just this big domino effect that I think that happens. So I've been on for about an hour and 20 minutes and, you know, I've ta talked about a bunch of different things today talked about, you know, family, talked about religion, talked about uh, you know, bad things that happen to people, you know, talked about molestation that's, that's happened to a lot of people and how it's so prevalent in our society, in our government, in our you know, entertainment industry and basically everywhere. But I want to I leave you just, you know, I guess with, with a couple of thoughts where, number one, you do have to learn how to forgive. You do have to learn how to forget. And if you could, you know, today, tomorrow, whenever it is, you know, go out and do something nice today. It's Sunday. You know, I know a lot of people go to church today. A lot of people are coming into my show from the religious programs that are out there right now. Go out today and do something nice. Hold the door for somebody. You know, if you see an old person struggling with their groceries, maybe offer to carry the grocery bag to their car for them. If you're in line at, uh, you know, in the Northeast, we have Dunkin' Donuts. If you're in line at the donut place, the coffee place, buy, the, buy, buy coffee for the person behind you. Do something nice. Do something kind. It doesn't have to be financial. It could be a simple act of kindness that you do to maybe help somebody. And maybe if you do something nice for five people and they all do nice things for five other people, you have a wave of positivity that takes over and you end up you know, having a wave of goodness happening in this country as opposed to the negativity and the bad things that uh, unfortunately are, seem to be all around us on a, on a daily basis. So I want to thank everybody that tuned in, had a lot of people coming in the show today. I greatly appreciate it for the people that are in the live right now. If this is your first time into my show, you know, please follow my show. You'll click on the follow button. I'm here quite a bit. I talk about a lot of different topics. We may talk politics. We may talk sports. We may talk religion. We may talk about movies. Heck, we may talk about aliens. We talk about a lot of different things in the show. I go in a lot of different directions. But give me a follow if you could. If you could also you know, share my live, I would greatly appreciate that. And you can also download my shows. I've got, I think, now almost 200 shows published on the different uh, platforms. You can hear me on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And I appreciate all of you for coming in today. So happy Sunday. I hope you all have a great week. And I hope to see you all back in my show again sometime soon. So thank you very much. And uh, peace.